Richie Wexler, president and CEO of Vintage Annals Archive. We have a very special guest. Episode 15 is Jim Tazi. Um, Jim, I met Jim in the very early days of doing the Vintage Annals Archive page and just thought he was awesome. I am a huge, insane fan of Wonder Shows in which he had part in doing some character development, um, building puppets. Uh, you'll hear more about that in the episode. And then, um, you know, I also became a big fan of Burt's Tit, which as a Muppet fan, I probably should have been offended by. But then I knew that Jim had such love for Jim Henson and the, all the things Muppets. So, you know, it was fine. And I feel like when you really think about the subversion element of Jim Henson and, and Frank Oz and the Muppets, they would have appreciated it as well. So this is a different kind of format for us. Um, this is what I'm kind of calling more of a loose conversation or conversations. Uh, I've known, and I knew Jim, I knew his work, but I didn't, you know, I didn't go into a heavy, I didn't have to go into a heavy research because I, because it was more of just a conversation and I, I was very familiar with his work. And, um, you know, the editing is pretty loose. I don't, I don't, you know, comb it with a spoon, with a spoon, is that a I didn't, you know, I didn't dig it too deep. I just cut the things out I knew would get me in trouble. Um, but, you know, this is just really a conversation between two friends um, who happen to have a lot of things in common in terms of their interests. Uh, please check out Jim's work. Um, the best way you can find about Jim uh, is through his Instagram. And he does sell some, like, T-shirts and stickers through another page. And I'll have all this linked in. But, again, this, I'm very proud of this episode. It was just really sitting down with someone who I have a lot of admiration for, who's just a good dude and um, is an amazing artist and has done a lot of really cool things over the years. Uh, worked for MTV. He's just done a lot of cool shit. Um, so, yeah, so enjoy. And make sure you check out Jim's stuff because there's a whole world that we didn't even get into about Jim's artwork. So thank you. Great. I'll ask you now. Um, Please ask. Tell me the. Ask tell me, me the. Ar- I want to hear the origin of Bert's Tit. I want to hear the stories about Bert's Tit. Tell me about Bert's Tit in your life. Tell me from your mouth <laughs> what Bert's Tit is like from your mouth, as opposed to any other orifice <laughs> of my body. When do you have to put Bert's Tit in your mouth? <laughs> I can't say anything. I, <laughs> I'm milking. I'm, I'm bit, yes. I'm the bird's, bird's such has such good I'm flavor. Sucking milk. on the teat of that delicious. Uh, All right. Here's where here's where I'll say creamsicle so, flavored Muppet milk. Not to not to take too much away from your story, but I am a very big Muppet fan, and I felt I like did when not I know that. Yeah, I am. Does that Professor Honeydew tattoo? That is. There's many Muppet tattoos on my arm, but when I first saw Bert's I was you like, have the backplate of the Swedish Chef, right? You have the whole back. I do not. I, I have the I have the electric mayhem on my arm, and I have Kermit, and I have a sketch of Jim Henson. But the Swedish Chef backplate is next. Uh, I don't know what's next. I got Bert and Ernie, and that's where that's where I'm going. Yeah. I thought about getting Bert's tit, but I <laughs> I don't know if my you know there's and, a few out there actually. I, I wasn't ready for that yet. Yeah. No offense. Um, okay, no, I, I'm not so, offended at all. The reason I think I love Jim's work so much is because I feel like Bert's tit should offend me because of my love for the Muppets, but it doesn't. Which is why, because I can tell that Jim, as much as it's kind of like, there's a rudeness to it, that he's got love for these characters, so, and, and for the Henson world, so I'm not offended. Let's, let's talk about, how did you land on Bert's which Tit? Which is interesting, because, yeah, we should be mortal, mortal enemies. How did you land on Bert's Tit? Good question. And did, did you hurt it? <laughs> did you pop Bert's Tit when you first landed on it? <laughs> I did. I did not, not yet. <laughs> The bird, it, it, I think it just started out as a, as a joke, you know, as, a, as the, my inner nine-year-old drew <laughs> Bert, who I, uh, who I always thought was, a, was an interesting character because there, there was sort of a, I'd say, a love-hate relationship with Bert because he was always, a, you know, Ernie was all, always like the free, free, free-loving kind of character and Bert was always like the strict, you know, kind of uh, taskmaster, yeah. everything had a, he was the Felix to to uh, Ernie's Oscar, right? And I don't much. mean to interrupt, but I feel like what people, I don't think people realize how influential the, the com- comedic duo of Frank Oz and Jim Henson so is. So amazing, everything. amazing, yeah. I, yeah, uh, 
Yeah, they're, they're going, just so sorry. good together. I didn't, I didn't actually realize until I saw, I don't know if you ever saw like that Tonight Show interview with Johnny Carson, they just go into their, um, but I think that it's just Fozzie and, and Kermit, but they're just so, so good. And there's like oh, outtakes yeah. from like the Muppet movie of them like doing stuff. I've and seen the outtakes like, of the Muppet if movie. If those guys yeah. ever just did like stand up, it would have been amazing. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, genius. Anyway, I, I, yeah, I, so Bert's, I, t- yeah, it was just like a funny thing. I, I actually drew Bert. Well, I think I had seen, I think it was Dan Klaus drew Lucy Van Pelt, topless. And she, and she Who's that? Little, little tits. So she's uh, Charlie Brown's nemesis. Oh, Lucy. She, okay. she holds the football, right? Right, right. I, I forgot to know her last Brown name. runs up at the last moment where he's just about to kick the, the pig skin. She takes it away. And then uh, Charlie Brown falls on his ass. But anyway, so I drew. So I was like, "Ah, oh, Bert! Bert's such like a weird. Always been such a weird character. The monobrow, the yellow skin, the cone head, the pigeon thing." Which also made me think, like, I wonder if the you think the cone heads were influenced by Bert? You know, the original sat SNL. I mean, it's Dan Aykroyd, pretty close to the look, but who Jane knows? Jane Curtin, coneheads. Yeah. Again, when we talked anyway. before, we did establish that there's a connection between Henson World and Saturday Night Live because right. Larry Bernstein was. Jim Henson and uh, Lauren Michaels' manager. Right, and I think that there was some Muppet stuff on this. Well, there was Muppet stuff on there, and it's funny, apparently that, you know, Bernie was just trying to hook up Jim through Saturday Night Live, and apparently because they took time away from the other actors, that the other actors referred to them as the uh, mucking fuppets or fucking, (laughs) and they, they, they like shut it down. Oh wow! All the Saturday Night Live actors like shut down. They're jealous. They were of the mupping, yeah. mupping. The mupping. It's the. <laughs> it's like. Or the, it's instead of fucking muppets, it's mupping puppets is what they refer to them. But they were puppets, not. Yeah. That was not a. And it was also it was. Do you remember those episodes? You ever seen those? I I vaguely remember them. Yeah, and I feel they're, like I, I I. Yeah, I was looking for something and I saw some segments. They're kind of like more. They're kind of more in the Dark Crystal world of his of like of the characters. Right, yeah. And they're just like not very funny. They're just kind of weird. They're, they're a bit more like yeah. I remember they were kind of like surreal. They're almost. Right? They're probably like they. They're probably. I don't. I don't know. I don't remember dinosaurs so, so much. But remember the dinosaur series that they made. They made oh, the, the, the show. Sitcom. Yeah, it was I like, feel like they're, they're probably more they? in that world. Yeah, like just, it was. It was just like a sitcom kind of sketch, like almost like the honeymooners, I think. But it was in this fantasy world. They just didn't make any sense. Yeah. It was the wrong fit. Yeah. But go on, sorry. No, yes, let me continue about Bert's tit. I apologize. Bert's tit. We're getting um, back to it. Yeah, so, yeah, it was just a, a, it was a funny drawing, and then uh, we were talking about, like, street art and where that started. I, I, I think I had posted uh, the drawing on, on Instagram, and it was probably the first time that, like, a lot of people responded to it. And I was like, oh, I'm getting attention on Instagram. So that only encouraged me What kind of attention to do you more. About? People liked it. People, some, like you said, some people were offended. Some people were like, "Oh, this is great. This is hilarious." Did you get trolled from that? No, not no. I didn't actually get trolled. I think it was too confusing to people because, <laughs> and it, it's confusing to me. The more I thought about, it, I was like, "Well, it's a man. It, you know, it is a, apparently a male character, but now he has breasts, and you know, it's like it's one thing if it's like a female puppet that has breasts, but now now we're working with a male puppet on a kids show that has breasts, and it's just very, it gets more and more confusing. I think, and people don't want to." It's not a clear argument, which but is you're, good because I, I can't argue at all. I'm a terrible. But your impetus debater. was to honor Bert. You weren't trying. Yeah, to it, fuck, always, it always from came a, from from an eight year old perspective. <laughs> yes, it always came from a deep love of Jim Henson right. and uh, his Muppets because I didn't like any of the humans on Sesame Street. All I liked they're was all, the puppets. I've I've read about them. They're all they come off nice. They're the worst human beings in the world. Really. Even David. <laughs> yeah, so back, that, back to um, Bert's tit. So yeah, so the, yeah, so it was just I was encouraged, unfortunately, by society, and then um, I saw stickers on the street. I, well, I, I mean, to go back a little bit, I was like, how, okay, so it's on Instagram. How do I, how do I get it out to the real world? Yeah. And like, well, but I mean, thinking back, why would I want to do that? But it was also, I think, just a, a more, just increasing my appetite to get it out there and get more feedback. It's just feeding my ego, really. But uh, so, yeah, I saw all these stickers out on the street and weed paste, and it's like, oh, this might be a good way to get get Bert out there because uh, you know obviously it's lowbrow art. It's not you know it's not going to be in a gallery or anything. Most people are going to hate it or be offended by it. So where can I where can I put vulgar stuff out there that will get little to no um, pushback? And I was like, I'll just put it out on the street, 
if let me ask you a question. If you actually had someone come up to you who was offended, would what would you feel about that? Would you feel bad? Would you try to explain it? What, what would your interaction be? Yeah. Have you ever had an interaction with someone who came up to you and said this is deeply offensive to me? No, no, I haven't. I've I've had people that I think were at the most confused by it, and I and I couldn't really offer an explanation. I think if someone said came up to me and hated it, I would I would shrink. I would be like, I'd feel bad, you know. Yeah. Um, because it is just kind of a joke if there's if they're looking for any kind of like serious or deep meaning behind it i have i have none um it would be it would be all just bullshit speculation but you're happy to prank them and even yeah well that that's the thing well again i think we both share a love for that kind of subversive oh, oh God, kind yes. of um fun which i think also goes back to jim henson i mean i think i don't know i'm, I'm just uh i think we talked about this before oh and there's my toothy bird too i forgot and the toothy tell me the story about toothy bird <laughs> toothy, toothy bird toothy got shut down well, all Can we speak it, about that. Everything I had Burt related merch on a website, which makes made T-shirts and mugs and, and stuff. And uh, yeah, Children's Television Workshop got in touch with them <laughs> and told them they had to remove every kind of Burt related merch item I had, and that's what they did. Have and you I, ever? And I did not fight them on it. Have you seen the documentary Street Gang? No, I think dude, you were telling me about this dude, show. Let's, how are you? How about? you know? As much as I th- think you're a big Burt fan, you you have to watch it. Is it a gang of Burt? I'll pay for the rental. <laughs> right. It's a it's um you know I it's didn't know Burt. It's a Burt related documentary. It's a Burt related documentary. I didn't no actually way. know the story of. So you know he got hired. Like, people think he developed Thespian. He got hired from Children's Television Workshop, and the whole goal, which I never knew, was to educate black kids in their home because they knew they could teach kids to read using television as a medium. Oh, and it was okay. geared knowing that kid black kids had less access to education. Yeah. And also that's why they said it in like they said it in like a in like um in a in a in a neighborhood that would have fit that would look like it was in Manhattan, but they set it up like a yeah. street because so, they wanted it to be it was I mean it was set in New yeah, York. It's not suburbia, it's definitely an urban it's an urban situation. Yeah. And I and then, and when they created it, they they were brilliant. They you know they had psychi- they had psychologists they had educators, and they had the, and they had the Jim Henson, and they had the team, and they all worked together. They kept this log where they interacted with each other. It's a fucking amazing story. You gotta watch it. Yeah, that sounds awesome. But it, so it's it's about the Sessa Children's Television Workshop kind of bringing the Muppets, Jim Henson's Muppets. They hired. They show. they they were able to. So, you know, they were able to figure out he was the best person because you know Jim Henson was always ahead of his time. He was all about video. He was trying to do. He did video animation. He did motion capture in like, in like the late '80s or some shit or early '90s. Wow. Um, he was way ahead. He was very into technology. He was. I mean, do you know? Do you, I don't know if you were familiar with how they shot it, but um, they had set up a situation where the actors had monitors, and they would be and they would set up so they would be watching what the what the the uh, audience would watch. But oh, the yeah, only, it, yeah they, they, had, they had TV monitors that they were the looking down The only thing that's, that was hard, apparently, my understanding is it was reverse. And I okay. never understood. I tried yeah. to do that before. <laughs> it's impossible. Yeah. You ha, you're, you're, you, I don't know how they got used to... Two things I never understood about the Muppets. How did they get used to watching themselves in reverse and figure out where to go? Yeah. And two, how were they not on a ton of painkillers? I was a puppeteer yeah. briefly... After ten minutes, your arm in the air. Try yeah, to put your arm this, up in the air and see how long yeah. you fucking last. Well, especially Big Bird. Didn't it? didn't Carol Carol Spinney have like permanent like spine distortion? I'm sure he did. Because he, he not only did he have to carry the weight of the costume, he had a he had a monitor strapped to his chest apparently that so he could see what he was yeah. doing. Plus he had one his arm. His like arm this. was in the air. Yeah, and the other arm for the hand. Yeah. Um, I just I just watched. Uh, did you ever watch that? Uh, it was a little documentary called Muppets on Puppets. I don't know. I gotta, if you haven't seen it, it's great because they, they, they show how they do it. It's, I think it's from like, it's, it's pre-Sesame Street. Um, or no, I think it's, it's at the beginning. It's like 1969. And they show, um, they show how they do it. They're all, yeah. you know, they, they go behind the, the stage and they, you see them all standing. They have the monitor um, that they're all looking down at. Yeah, that's, I get, yeah, it's reverse, right? So you got to figure that out. Uh, but it's great. Yeah, send it Have to, you I, ever I seen it. the sketch of the tank system that was built so that Jim could perform Kermit uh, in doing Rainbow Connection? No. Oh, no. 
Jim, the tank, the tank Jim was set up. Jim was underwater in this like tank. Oh, because he's yeah, because he's not he's in like a river or something. He's right? in a river. He's un, he's pond. literally submerged in water, and his arm is <laughs> coming in, up. He's in top. scuba gear. He's in like a, he's a not, he's, no, diving he's, bell. He's in a, he's in what I would call a very small submarine. Holy shit! And then his arm is coming out of it, but he's underwater. Yeah. He's yeah. filming that underwater. I can't hear anything. I'll send you the sketch. It's fucking. It's amazing. So, like, did, so, but did they actually do it? Did they execute it like that, or did yeah. they figure out a different? Way? He's. I mean, if you. I mean, what you see on the screen is what you get. He's. He's in the. He's. He's literally in water, submerged in this like little tiny. I don't know how big it was. It was probably not much bigger than him. And he's underwater, and, and I mean, he was. You know, that took a while to shoot, and yeah. he's performing the mouth with an arm coming out of the top of it. Yeah, but he's in a fucking tank. <laughs> Studying it for thousands of years. The best way I can explain it is, I love, I love film. I love art film, right? I and every year or two, I'm like, I have to get a subscription to the Criterion Collection because it's. Oh yeah. I should be watching all these Kurosawa. I don't even, you know, I should, I should know this. Yeah. Every time I get that, I put it on and I fall asleep every time, <laughs> and I never watch it. I spend ten dollars for. Not only do I spend for one month, I'll, I'll let it. I'll be like, well, I'll get it next month, and I spend literally forty dollars a year. To never watch anything because yeah. the reality is, I don't have the t- I don't I don't work that way. Yeah. Um, and I think it's the same thing. I think when you like decide like if if, if you're just like I you know, I like people that are knowledgeable. But if I have to feel like I have to be knowledgeable to keep up with the as a hipster in some way, I'm like fuck this. Yeah. It's not it's not fun anymore. Yeah. So I think that's kind of I think you and I probably are the same place with that. Yeah, um, definitely. It I has to be like... organic. So, you know, a lot of people. So, so there was this big art show. In six, I don't even know the year. I'm bad with years. Sixty nine, seventy, sixty eight. It was, um, it was the birth, the modern birth of documentary photography. Robert Frank was already established at this point because he came before this. It was yeah. Dean Arbus. There's two other artists I can't remember their names. It was this big show at the MoMA, and it was his birth. So I, so I look at Robert. I look at Robert. Frank, because he came before this, as the father of modern art, modern documentary art photography. Yeah. It's it's taking human beings, but I mean, if you go back, you're going to see that shit with like, what was that, what's that woman who worked during like the, that picture of that sad looking lady with the eyes and, and during the, the depression? Oh, yeah. Um, Ma- Margaret Bork. I mean, White, people, right? Mar- is it Margaret Bork? White? Something like that. Right? Something like yeah, that. She's like, this should um, she I don't went to the Dust Bowl and, and filmed right. so, shot all those uh, and Other people are going to say that's the, she's the modern. Dorothea Lange. Dorothea Lange's name was her name. Was. Oh, was it? Okay. Who's Margaret Bork? I don't know. <laughs> I'm disagreeing with you to like make this, to just go with it. Um, anyway, but you know, there's really no way to say who is who, but I gotta, like. I gotta look at All right, let's keep talking though, because yeah, I want to keep going. I'm going to Google it. Well, hold on. I'm going to multitask. Okay. Can you wait? Because I want to, this is, we're on something. I don't want to interrupt it. Is that okay? No, keep going. Yes. But I, I need you to be part of the conversation. Is that okay? I, I promise down. to remind you later. The phone is down. Okay. So, you know, I, I in my world, again, as is, is a fan, is, is, you know, I, I learn, mo- I, I'm not a reader. I'm dyslexic as fuck. I can't pay attention. My attention span is that of a three-year-old. So I watch <laughs> documentaries. So I've learned about Robert Frank through watching the documentary about him. Yeah. I learned about most people. I learned about Dean Arbus in the same way. So she's kind of like the mother of modern documentary photography. Yeah. Robert Frank is the father, in my opinion. What about what about Ouija? He, I think he precedes Ouija. Robert Frank as well, right? I don't know. He was I, an ambulance chaser. Oh, I, when, when you said scenes. Ouija, I thought I thought you were saying Wegman, and I was like, wait, he did pictures of dogs. He's yeah, not, not anywhere. Not Wegman. Ouija. Um, I don't know, I don't know enough is. about Ouija. Well, you know, he's, he did a lot of crime scene stuff in the 40s. Right. And so, but, but, the, but to keep this focused, we're going to go off of the late 60s, 70s, which is when in New York, when, when New York City had this big show of these three artists, which I'll look up later. Yeah. One of them is... Not <clears throat> Stephen Shore. He was the one. No, he, there's a movie about him, too. I can't think of his name. I, I just, we'll add the names later. Yeah. Um, so I look at Robert Frank as the father. I look at Dean Arbus as the mother. And I, I, I honestly, for me, Arlene... Gottfried is, is their their daughter, yeah. is the daughter of modern photography. Yeah, well, would you, which makes would you would you say she's sort of like uh, kind of in the was it Nan Golden in that kind of category? Because um, Nan Golden was sort of like seventies eighties. Right? There's so I mean I'm or does I'm she go back further. I'm just learning about Arlene. She you know she was a commercial photographer. 
I mean, she passed away a few years ago, and she was like seventy something. Yeah, I, I have more to learn about her, but I'm excited. But but yeah, she was the same like Lower East Side, Lower yeah, East, New York, Duck, you know. And, and I don't you know, know if she was like Studio Fifty Four, but she was. So that's where her like and, attics and you know. That's where her and Meryl overlapped a little. She did a little bit of that. Yeah. She was the Puerto, Puerto Rican neighborhoods, um, but there's a there. What she did well is she. There's a kindness to her work. What yeah. I'm learning about when you do, when you deal with people when you're sometimes like. I, I, there's a guy there's a guy I noticed in my own photography that um, I took photos of him and then he's, he's and he's on the street needing food and because I had because he's now in my photography world I can't I don't want to ignore him so I, I got involved with him and giving him food there's this certain part of Arlene was a very kind person who took care of a lot of people through her photography practice and yeah. because of that there's so much kindness I mean you could call her an, a photography activist if you want she brought people in. She took care of them. She used her own life to tell these stories. But there's, there's. So there's, you're saying that the people that she, her subjects, she would sort of take took, care she of. She took care of them. Yeah, she well. told their stories. She honored them. Well, yeah. All, All right. right cool. So yeah. So what I, so what I, what, I, what I'm curious about you, Rich, is, uh, <laughs> is you. This is what, all about what, me. You know, we talked about when I was like ten, nine, ten years old, the things that kind of like influenced me and struck me as weird and like kind of took me into a crazy world. I want to know that what types of things when you were that age took you into that kind of weird, crazy, abnormal—not abnormal, but like that weird world that was that was fascinating and captivating. I can't talk much about. I don't remember a lot about my childhood like that. Uh-huh. Um, I can tell you that my first love of like my first my first love that involved art was musical theater. Okay, interesting. That's the world. That what what did, what what. Specific musical theater production? Did you uh, see that? Sixth grade inflamed your love. Sixth grade, going to see Chorus Line with my school class, which in in where in, in New York in, City? I think Forest Theater in Philadelphia. Okay. Now you know I'll tell you one more thing about musical theater. There's a law in Jewish culture that Jewish parents have to take their children to New York City at least twice a year. For eight or nine years. No way. Otherwise, they, they <laughs> yeah. otherwise they get they get arrested. Right. Um, I mean, it's just, it's part of Jewish culture. My yeah. family, music is my love. My family was so wrapped up in music. My grand, my, I'm I'm one thing I'm working on is I'm doing a documentary about my musical the musical influence in family. Yeah. Uh, apparently, my grandmother and her two sisters all could play music by ear. Well. Like savants. I wish like, I had that skill. My mother can do it. My yeah. sister needed not as much. I have the same thing with hearing music. I mm. can hear perfect pitch and notes. I don't know what the notes are. Yeah. So music and expression. I think I've always been very sensitive. Something about musical theater with it's like, like what I love with musical theater is you can't fake it. It's yeah. like it's like dedicated. It's like improv, improv comedy. Like if you you have to dedicate yourself to it. Right. And no no matter how ridiculous it no may seem. You know, musical theater, it's like, oh, do 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 It's so yeah. grand, and it's so emotional. You gotta sell it, though. You gotta, you gotta sell, like, sell it. it. And, you know, and it, and, but it's also like this fantasy world, where you yeah. go from talk, so like, but, you know, so that chorus line was that moment for me. So did, did, do you remember it directly inspiring you to do anything artistic or create something that, at that time? I did you, did, did you like, start, did you start thinking about creating your own musicals or theater productions? I, uh, in terms of art, I used, to, I was very good at, I, I'm, I am Because you know what, you, you know what influenced Ingmar Bergman? No. He was very into theater. Okay. But what he would do as a little kid was, I don't know if he actually saw theater, but he, he would create like little, you know, theatrical sets and have little puppets. Kind of like Spielberg did with Super 8 movies? Yeah, yeah, but you know, it was pretty Super 8. But um, I was you know. not. I was not that. I think uh, in the, what's up movie Fra- Franny and uh, what's it? Not Franny and Zoe, but uh, his his long, not, uh, his long six part series. He he kind of uses his childhood as uh, as a story. But I'm anyway, gonna, I'm gonna reference this to there's a there's a Bergman parody done by um, on SCTV. Okay, with Martin Short, right? Jerry well, no, Lewis. It's, it's, Is um, it the Jerry Lewis one? Well, this this sketch is it's the Monster Chiller Theater and it's just, I'll send it to you but it's uh it's what's your name it's um Andrea Martin it's like a Andrew thing Martin it's like a play on Persona it's a play on Persona it's, right? it's, yeah it's yeah, fucking great so there's one moment where this where 
midget comes out and they go and, and, and she go, and you hear her like they do that know, they do like that shrimp, fake Swedish like you know, I think you hear them you don't hear them talking you hear them thinking and she goes shrimpkin <laughs> yeah. like, so good it's a classic I mean SC, I'll be honest if I really look at my biggest influence in terms of who I am in the world yeah one of them one of them is definitely SCTV oh yeah are you yeah, an I mean, SCTV oh, fan loved it yeah I mean tell me some I don't of your favorite sketches in SCTV the thing that made probably made me laugh the hardest was Mrs. Falbo's time Mrs. Falbo and not time. not just because Mrs. Falbo drove like a, a like a large uh, Mopar hot rod car that you see at the end but John Candy John as as like oh the weird God. like jester <laughs> I was gonna say I was gonna, I, like, I was gonna say John Candy is what makes that sketch you remember yeah. the one where they went to Folsom Prison yes yeah it's holy just like shit that I loved Mrs. Fabulous Tiny Town I loved the Schmengi Brothers um, have you ever seen the Schmengi Brothers Christmas in Lutonia yes yeah, with the, of we, we bring the cabbage. And yeah, the, they, they're so they, that that is probably yeah that is probably my favorite skit that I probably have watched the most because I remember, you know, going going back to my my folks' place at Christmas and we had it on like a VHS and we just watch it over and over oh again because it was also there was also part there was like an SCTV Christmas special yeah and like Catherine O'Hara played like um, Joey Heatherton mm-hmm. type of uh, character who was always on pills. And uh, but yeah, they would show the Schmengi Christmas, and it was just so so great because they were they were just in like you know sub suburb in Toronto, and they talk about how they go to each other's houses, it's, and they have these weird traditions with the cabbage rolls and the coffee. You you got to take your socks off and exchange them with the other men of the group, the women like going to the kitchen and do something else, and like brilliant. the kids have to find the hidden egg yeah. on the guests. And, and, and again, this like is so good, I, you know, like here's here's what you know, in my I mean. I, I know my understanding of how they worked. I want to. I want to make sure before I forget. I mentioned the sketch with Michael McDonald. Remember that one? Uh, no. Rick Moranis and Michael, Michael, Michael McDonald from Duty Brothers. I don't remember. We'll what, have to talk about that in a second. Yeah. So my understanding of them is that they would they would play together. I mean, all those guys eventually, you know, Christopher Guest movies is that same cast. It's uh, yeah. And they Pretty, would yeah, kind of like apparently they would like form characters by playing, and then they would write the sketches based on the characters. Yeah, yeah. It was a lot of improv, right? It's a lot of improv, but it was improv to build characters and then they yeah. would write it from there. I'm not yeah. sure how much improv they did after they wrote it. Um, I don't know if, and I don't know if you've ever watched, have you watched any of the documentary now? No, no, that's what, uh, what's his name? Uh, what's it? Armist- Nick- Fred Armisen and, and Bill Hader, the main two creators. Okay, yeah. They do an episode based on Great Gardens. Yeah, yeah. Watch that. I haven't that. seen I, it. That, that, to me, that is the brilliance of coming from SCTV. Yeah. Um, that episode is fucking amazing. It's, they start with Great Gardens, they reference it, and then they just like at some point they just start dialing it up and they make it they, they go full horror film. <laughs> uh. <laughs> I don't give much you may but that but so I think there's a brilliance in you know I think a lot about um, kindness. I think a lot about the reason that CTP was so good. You could tell they liked each other. They got along. Yeah. Apparently I see. Apparently we heard the stories about Saturday Night Live where characters had to compete. I don't think. There were, yeah, definitely. Yeah, there's. Yeah, there's. I mean, there. Like uh, there was actual physical violence, right, between like Chevy Chase Chevy, and Bill Murray. <laughs> but but, but like the the but uh, John Belushi like basically set it up. He like trolled them both so they would like hate each other. Apparently they came to blows. Apparently, yeah. Apparently, Belushi punched him in the face at some point. Yeah, and then Belushi felt really bad. But you he, never hear those stories about CTV. No, you could no, those guys all seemed like they were like close. They were friends. They really liked each other. And the other thing about it, if you compare the two, they were all rejects from Saturday Night Live. They. Were all yeah. they, they were every, all the, I mean all that world like you get the groundlings in there, you know all these worlds of improv, but like Second City was the birthplace of both those things. Yeah. All the all you know so, and then I don't know if you ever if you I don't know if you know anything about um, Del Close. Oh right yeah he's he was he was sort of like the uh, kind of legendary um, mentor to a lot of those. Del Close at one point jumped off a balcony to prove a point to his cat. <laughs> Yeah, I believe that. There's a story that Del Close in uh, left his head, left the skull to be to the theater, and they use it for a production of Hamlet. Yeah, that's why. <laughs> Del Close was a crazy motherfucker, but he also was like he's you know Del Close was Jim Belushi's trainer. Yeah. Chris Farley, like the fucking yeah. crazy ones. Yeah. Well, I think it was recently it was some Bob Odenkirk interview, and he talked about going to see. Like making this journey to see Del Close and like to spend time with him. Del, I mean, you know, I did some improv. Del Close also is the is the is the uh, he created long form improv. He created yeah. what that, yeah, you know, he, you know what Harold is. 
The what? You know, the Harold. Oh yeah, Harold? yeah. I've seen. I've seen it. I. It's funny. I did improv for a while, and I. I got up to the Harold, and yeah. part of the first part. The Harold is a structure. I don't even understand that much. That like lets you move around and have some stability in the story, where it's like you do. You do three sketches, and then you reference in the second set. You reference to the one. I don't even know the rules, yeah. but it's kind of like this monster that like. If you follow it, it, it kind of forms a story to the improv. Yeah. And my tennis fan is so horrible that, and it's all based on the first, so you do, you do like- You mean, it, you mean it has, it creates a beginning, a middle, and an end, and a complete story? It's, it's a story. very strict form, but within the form, you can play around it. So it's like, okay, so I'll, I'll tell you my understanding of Harold. You, you, first thing you do is word association. Someone says, John. Someone says, I don't know, toilet. And it just, it goes, it, you do five minutes of word association. And then the next three sketches are like three minute segments and you reference all those things. And then you take okay, the, and yeah. then you play another game, and then you go to the second round, and then you have to reference like two of the things that got created, and there's some way to wrap it up. Yeah. Being being having such a shitty attention span, we would do all the and but everything is based in the first game. And within three minutes of that game, I had forgotten everything <laughs> yeah. everybody said, and I was not, I'm, I was not, it was Well, it seems like it'd be nerve-wracking enough just to do improv, but to but, yeah, but have these specific the rules. he's the father of that, and I do yeah. think it was, he's on it, he created, because of that structure, he created something amazing. What are yeah. some other, what are some, besides SCTV, what other, um, what other shows were big influences for you, whether it's, your own life or comedy or music, what other things were, what are, what's your, you know, you asked me what my influence was as a kid, what's your big influence when you're 18 or 17 or 21, what's... Yeah, well, around that time was definitely underground comics, I think that's when I discovered, like, Robert Crumb and, and Weirdo, um, probably around that time, maybe a little bit before, um, the, the Young Ones was on MTV, which kind of blew me away, because I was a huge Monty Python, Benny Hill uh, fan, and this was like, you know, that, that started to feel kind of old. And then this came along and I was like, okay, this is, a, this is speaking to me. This is like, yeah, that, that was something that was definitely an influence. I, got, I don't interrupt you, but I, Young Ones blew my brain away. When yeah, I was, when so I was good. 14 on, yeah, but go on. And uh, yeah, there's that one, one episode, I forget what, it, what the theme is, but, but Buddy, they find Buddy Holly in, in the attic and he's hanging yeah. upside down from this parachute. <laughs> and he does this amazing song about like eating bugs because that's how he survived, basically like eating... Insects from his like that were, were you, like were you a Monty guitar. Python fan? Yeah, huge tell Monty, me, huge Monty Python fan. I don't know. It's funny. I've avoided Monty Python for some reason. I don't know why. Everything I love that came after it is referenced in Monty Python. Yeah. Mr. Show apparently uh, big Monty Python. Yeah, yeah. Kids in the Hall, which I didn't really, see, yeah. I didn't actually watch till last year. The Kids in the Hall is, is, is also fucking great. brilliant, yeah. but yet it's all based on Monty Python. Yeah. And so tell me more about Monty Python because I. I there's something about my Python that I that irks me. Um, I'll yeah. tell you one quick story about my Python, then I want to hear you. Is I'm my father and I went to see Meaning of Meaning of Life in the theater. Yeah. My dad has a bad gag reflex. Uh-huh. During the wafer thin mint scene, my dad oh, ran man. out of the theater throwing up on his legs. Oh man! Because of that scene. Because of that scene, I've that, never that seen is, a movie viscerally throw any person ever before after that yeah. as much as my dad. That's got amazing. I mean, it's, I feel bad for your dad, but <laughs> I mean, it is, you know, a, it is a dis- if you have to get gag from a scene, that would probably be one of the top I don't, I, I don't know if he actually threw up. I'm making up that he threw up, but he, he did one Beckham throw up. I don't know if he yeah. threw up in his legs. I'm just being a little dramatic. What, I, what, was it uh, gags of, of laughter or just gags no, no, of he, if, vomit? My dad's the kind of person that, I'm like this too. If, I, if someone throws up near me, I'm yeah. the next. Yeah, it's a gag reflex. Meaning, like, if you hear a gag, you grow up. Right, it's like that scene. What was that that pie eating scene? Right from right. Uh, the wafer thin mint. Yeah, no, but I'm thinking of another movie referencing the the uh, the contagious contagious vomiting was uh, stand Stand by Me. I think the kid tells a story oh, right. about the pie, right, like, right, the, right, the, right. The, the the obese kid that gets made fun of, and then right, like, that's a perfect that's a perfect way to put that. So um, tell me more about you know. Yeah, so Monty Python kind of hit me again, totally randomly, because I mean. I think it obviously I was it was on PBS it came on PBS first and I was probably it probably came on when I was like eight or nine or something like that which is like mid 70s and uh, probably you know definitely too young to really understand all the jokes or the subtleties of it but there, there was enough you know crazy zaniness in it anyway but let's get back to us yeah wait, wait tell me about the Michael McDonald uh, 
skit on SCTV. I kind of feel like I would love to watch <laughs> right now, but I yeah. think that's probably illegal to spray share it. So it's it's a it's a Doobie Brothers song. It's yeah. um, uh, Ride Like the Wind. Uh-huh. Yeah, I know the some, song. There's some part where there's some part in that song that he does repeatedly. Yeah, it might not be no. Try like the wind. Hold on. Oh, do 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 such a long such a long way. That part. Yeah. It's it's him. He he comes this he he comes in the studio, right? He does the first recording of that. He runs out in his car, drives around, gets some lunch, comes back in time to do the next one, and that's the whole skit. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's just funny. him, and then he's like, oh. Sh- and then yeah. he runs. It's we'll have to watch it before I leave today. Yeah, it I is, think I, I think I'm I'm remembering this skit now. I mean, you know, I mean, there's, you know, there's an. I mean, when I think about comedians, I mean, look at that cast. You got. I mean, Rick yeah. Moranis to me is the top. Is I, I I have to say if I have to if I have to pick my top three. Yeah. It's probably uh, Andre Martin, Rick Moranis. And John Candy, in my yeah. opinion. Who are your top three SCTV? If you have to pick yeah, a top it's, three, it's, that's, yeah, Desert that, Island, which yeah, that's a, t- a tough one because they're all so good. It's like, but who are the three that you feel like make them? You know, or you have reverence for? Yeah, to, really that, to me, that makes that show. I mean, I know Martin Short came later to the cast, but I'd say but definitely he's still in the cast. Yeah, I'd say Martin Short. Definitely. Yeah, I mean Rick Moranis. He did. Yeah, that guy was like, I know, he did there? so much. Martin Short doing. I, lo- the, I love the banjo yeah. player from the Deliverance. Is, yeah, and he, he scares he scares Lucille Ball, right? Is it? I think was it on Celebrity Blow Up or Celebrity something? Celebrity Blow Up was John right? Candy and Joe Flaherty, who also yeah. is amazing. I mean, but they had the kid. I think they had the kid from from that movie as a guest, the banjo player from from uh, the, that movie. Martin, well, Martin Short pretended he was him. He did. That's all. He yeah. does it. He's, he's no. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, it was Martin right, Short right, playing right, that right, character. Oh, right, 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 but right, I thought. Right. I think Lucille Ball is like. He scared Lucille Ball, which I think was played by Catherine O'Hara. I know they used to blow up Brooke um, Shields a lot. Yeah, that was great. Celebrity Shield blow up was great. But yes, top three, yeah, definitely John Candy. Uh, yeah, Martin Short. And yeah, I think maybe Catherine O'Hara because she also just did like some amazing, amazing stuff. Well, it's, it's funny you bring that up because I feel like, you know, there's all these fans of Shit's Creek, which is an awesome show. Right. Oh, yeah, I mean, there's Eugene Levy. You can't forget Eugene I mean, uh, yeah, I, I just forget, forgot Eugene How can you forget Eugene Levy? He's probably in the top three. Bobby Bittman. Bobby Bittman. Oh, God. Um, there's one, so there's one sketch he does where he's like, it's some kind of 80s inspired dog food commercial. Yes. And he's wearing like a punk outfit. Yeah, it's, a, yeah, it's like some new wave <laughs> new guy. Wave. I just, yeah, I think I, I feel like I just saw that. I think it's harder for the top three or four because they're all so amazing that they yeah. and now they all bump each other. I mean, yeah. and you, I mean, Dave Thomas is probably the least, in some ways, the least popular. But yeah, but he he, was he also did so much. He was the only one that could do a Bob Hope imitation. He, they're <laughs> all brilliant in their own ways, and I think, at least from my understanding, is they were able to work together with with and leave each other room. That's a big collaborate. There was there there. It's probably hard for us to name it because. You, there's no there's no primary secondary stars they're all equal right yeah. musical theater for you have you ever have you ever had to are you a musical theater person have you ever ne- seen anything no. no never never was a musical theater person i didn't i didn't have a lot of exposure to the theater when i was growing up what either. was your what was your first it's all tv what was your first music but you were a big music fan you you i know you don't yeah. live here but there's five guitars yeah what was music for you what was the, your big the first music that I didn't that blew you away. What's the first yeah. music that blew you away? It was weird because I, I, I didn't when I was growing up. I didn't understand how people liked music. I don't know if it was uh, just me, but um, not until the seventh grade, and I had a friend called named Mark Rossetti who introduced me to the Beatles. So Beatles was <laughs> yeah, your big one he, for you. Yeah, and as like okay, because my brother was a huge Beatles fan, and then one day I think I just I had you know he had records. So I put the record on. But I was like Sergeant Pepper or something, and then I, then I then it clicked. I felt it was like oh I see this is taking me places. How old were you at this time? I was probably like ten, nine okay. or ten, um, which seems kind of late maybe to appreciate music. I mean I think I always appreciated music, but it was always in a more abstract sense. Like I you know what I liked I I don't I don't think I, when I was growing up I didn't like popular music because the music I heard that I liked was on Warner Brothers cartoons. So it was all like, um, what's his name? Uh, 
it was all like kind of classical based, but yeah, also yeah. like that crazy. Um, I forget what the composer, who, the guy that composed all the Warner Brothers music, that kind of crazy like factory. Uh, yeah, yeah. I remember the episode with the that's big the stuff orange, I liked. The orange monster with the upper one. Yes. Yeah. Stuff that's, like that. So yeah. it was it was sort of like based in classical, maybe even opera, um, but it, the the popular. So I didn't really get the popular music until yeah until I like for some reason the Beatles hit me and I was like oh, okay I see what music can do and like it can make me feel something I don't think it's funny that you're referring to the Beatles as not popular music in some way oh, yeah. well no I, I mean at the well at the time it was you know it was 10, it, 10 years after they broke up or whatever yeah. but, um, but go on I'm sorry I didn't mean to interrupt you yeah no no but that yeah that was that was the music that clicked for me and then after that it wasn't that I forget what I I got into just like lame stuff after that. I was like into like, I remember buying like a Jay Giles band cassette, I mean, listening you know. to you know because I, I grew up you know near Boston, so it was like a lot of Led Zeppelin, Van Halen. What were you like as a teen at this point? Were you in? Were you, were you in like? The, what, what was your? Were you? Were you friends with the nerds? Were you friends with metal kids? Like what? What, I, was, your, what was your? Yeah, I was. I was friends. What year are we talking about? We're t- well. We're talking about uh, Led. 1982, because I, gra- I graduated high school in 85. Okay, you're a few years older than me, but in the yeah, same I'm fifty. Part. I'm 54. Um, 54 and three quarters. I'll be 55 <laughs> in October. Holy shit! That's like 523 months old, I think. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah. So yeah, I was around the, the high school times. I was like, I was a nerd, but I didn't want to be. I wanted to blend in with the cool, popular kids. So I was very confused. And misguided because those kids were like, looking back now they're the lamest kids in the school, yeah. and the the nerd kids were the cool you know the oh, kids yeah. playing Dungeons and Dragons. So I was were you kind a of like a I was, yeah, I, but I was like a secret nerd. So I like I presented myself as like a cool kid. I try you know right. I go to Chess King at the mall and try and buy like <laughs> cool clothes like you, the you parachute had, pants. Remember you and the I zippers? had very similar upbringings. I tried to be cool, but I was a nerd. And I, I I finally after many years earned. I, I now. You I, earned I, your I, nerd badge. I, I I'm a very proud nerd, but it took me almost thirty years to get there. Yeah, I'm the, I'm the same way to like realize or accept that I'm a I'm a nerd, um, which is way too long. And why but, do you think that is? Uh, well, I think where I grew up it was it was very you know, and at the time it wasn't popular to be a nerd. You know, it was, <laughs> it's never, the, the, ki- it's the never kids the kids that were like having girlfriends and you know going to parties and drinking beer they right. were the cool kids. They weren't the kids playing Dungeons and Dragons. You know. Um, you know, in their basement. They were also or, the kids that watching weird like comedy. seventeen and, and and just became alcoholics. Yeah, pretty much. And they have, you know, five kids <laughs> that they don't you know, that they don't like. Um all named John. <laughs> yeah, five kids all the I had a, I had a friend named John and his sister was named Pat. His mom was named Pat, and his dad was named Pat, and his brother was named Pat. He was, <laughs> it was four Pats and a John. Points, and I was like, what? wait, what? Um yeah, exactly. But uh <laughs> Yeah, so, but, you know, when uh, when I got out of high school, I started to embrace the fact that I could draw and that I was into weird stuff. Okay. And um, you were very, you said before, you were very influenced by Robert Crumb in that world. Yeah, well, I started to, well, because I realized that, oh, you know, because I was drawing stuff, like, you know, the blood monsters, and then I, I was like, am I the only one doing this stuff? Maybe. But then I see, like, Robert Crumb and all these other underground artists are drawing, cra- like, way crazier stuff, and I'm like, oh, okay. I understand. Uh, there's, I like these people. And what did that? I what, did, see more. what is? What did? What? What did? Ex- having exposure to that, what did? Where did that take you? Well, then that that took me to trying to imitate that kind of stuff, and and actually just yeah, I mean, I, I think it took me more. Um, it took it took me more, like, in. Uh, I'm not gonna say like inward, but it it, it made me think more about where I was in the world and, and what, you know, what reality is and how, how do I see reality and how do I, how do I like take the stuff, the weird stuff in my head and get, put it out on a, on a piece of paper or, you know, in an animation or something. If I asked you to think about that in terms of being home, did it make you feel, when you, did you make you feel like you had a place? Did it make it, did it feel like home? Did it, you know, when I say home, I mean comfort. I mean a place yes. well, you could live, you could live in yeah well, yeah totally because uh, again you know it's like-minded people that are doing this stuff and I, and I would say going back to high school uh, yeah art class was the only place I really <laughs> felt at home yeah. because there was like, the other weird weirdos you know doing like doing art stuff and then and then going to, to college 
Um, you went to our college? Not, a, not initially. Right after high school, I went to Fitchburg State College, which was just a liberal arts. And you're, liberal you're arts still in school. Boston area. It was Western Massachusetts, okay. yeah. Um, but I found out the skills I had as someone that could draw and do cartoons and, and stuff like that was sort of an asset. So I was like, okay, the stuff that maybe would have gotten me made fun of in high school is now something that people like in college. So that just further inspired me to quit that college and try and go to art school. And did you go to art school? Did. Yeah. Then Where'd I you go to art school? Then I went to RISD, the Rhode Island, shit. Rhode Island School of Design, I spent which a weekend was a whole different world. Um, with a bunch of artists creating a, uh, a, a large puppet parade. Oh, that sounds. Cool. Oh, yeah. Was it the the big naso puppets, right? Probably. I don't know. I don't know. What but they all like was. big. The big like heads, like kind of. Costume we were. Puppets. We were. I used to work for puppet theater in Philly. We were hired to go down with them and collaborate with them and build and have a parade. It was probably the big naso puppets. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. I forget the guy's name. Phil Mazo or something. He's sort of like a, we're talking a Providence like institution at this late point. Late nine. Late nineties. Mid nine. I don't even know. Yeah, yeah it would make would be about right. Cause I, I went to RISD and like. 89 through 92. I okay. I, I think I graduated. It would have been after that. 91 or 92, like, but yeah, he was, he was like a big... What, did you, what was your focus at RISD? Originally, it was uh, illustration, and then I, and I was like, all right, I think I know how to draw and paint. Um, maybe I should do something that I'm not, that I want to like kind of learn more about, and I was, uh, I, I went into film. Oh, oh So shit. I did, I studied animation and film. So... Yeah, it's kind of like a double major, I guess. Although I kind of dropped out of illustration, just went into film. I want to hear more. I know I've read, I've read a little about you, just kind of like, you know, checking out your work. And I know you did a lot of animation. Over I know you did a bunch of work with the, was it, was it MTV, commercial stuff? I know you've done that. Yeah, was, yeah, I was, did commercial stuff. But the first... What was the first, yeah. The first real the job first? I had was, uh, fortunately, going to RISD. I had, I had some friends that had graduated before me, went to New York, and... Um, they helped me get a job just freelancing at an animation studio called Broadcast Arts, which was the studio that did the first season of Pee Wee's Playhouse. Oh shit! When, when they did it in New York, were so you they had all the, the Pee of Were you involved in that world? No, I wish I was, but it was you know they, they had left. They'd gone to LA by the time I got there. Nervous. Yeah, well, it was, it was Pee Wee's Big Adventure first, well, and yeah, then and then the and then the Playhouse came out. I I, I, I kind of so it's like mid it was, to late eighties. But the movie itself. I, I, I still, for many years, I had memorized the speech about the, uh, the whole speech he gives of, of, of the evidence together. Yes. I had that memorized. You have something years. to share, Amazing Larry, right? Was it that one? Not only that. So, I love Amazing And Larry. I think, you know, like, I didn't really understand it at the time, but it's like, I look back and I'm like, that's like performance art. Yeah. That, and that was like that. And also, like, it was, you know, I think the thing about mainstream culture, when it, latches onto weirdo shit, it, it brings people out of that into the weirdo world. And I think, I didn't really understand what it was, but I just knew there was something amazing that was different, and it made me, it made me feel like, oh, this is my shit. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, along that same line, I think probably we, we had HBO early on, you know, when we got cable, and they showed the, the original Pee Wee's um, uh, stage show. Which was that? Yeah, that was like a huge influence. They had, uh, yeah, it was the it was the original production, which was not you know it wasn't kid oriented. It was definitely adult oriented. They had, you, I'm sure you've, you've seen it, right? I I've seen it, but I don't know it. I, yeah, I, it's, I, I think it's, it's on, it's it's on it YouTube, once. but it's it, yeah, it's great. I have it's to amazing. Watch it again. Phil Hartman is in it, and uh, and Miss you know Miss Vaughn is in it, and all the puppets. But it's uh, yeah, it's great. It's definitely. Well, let me let me just interject. So. You know, um, a, f a few years ago, there was a puppet convention in Philly, one of the big ones, and um, the guy, what's his name? Uh, Wayne White was there. Wayne, that's who I was trying to think of. Yeah, Wayne and White. He did. He, he, we watched he made all the there. I met Wayne White briefly. Um, I've reached out to Wayne White about being part of this, and he has not returned my call. Yeah. But he, and you know, and look at his world. I mean, that's guy. That guy's a fucking genius. I almost yeah. fun, ironically. Instead, if I was either going to bring the Wayne White book for you or this one, I couldn't find the Wayne White book. Okay, well, I'm glad you brought that. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, lo one, I love Wayne White. I thought one of those two was meant to were meant to be with you. Yeah, thank you. Well, keep going. I'm sorry. Yeah, um, yeah. So no, yeah, that 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 original Pee Wee's uh, Playhouse production was a huge, huge influence, definitely, because then then it, it kind of tied in all that underground um, comic stuff with. Uh, the theatrical performance so yeah, yeah. I guess you could say that might have been my first kind of like 
theater love was that was that show. And if I'm just gonna interject myself because I, I'm getting I'm comfortable interjecting myself with you because I know we have respect and, and but you know I don't want to cut people off. But um, when I was a I, when I was a kid, like those early Simpsons cartoons and Tracy Tracy Ullman show blew me a fucking oh yeah away. oh yeah that's yeah. I remember my seeing mother, those on the My mother was very show. supportive, even though she didn't really understand the weird world I was in. So she got me a, a few copies of. I mean, there's a reason I have that oh, right. Jeff on yeah. my arm. That's great. She got me, you know, all those, all the comics, and those, yeah. man, like, I'm a Simpsons fan, but the Simpsons were never as good as this. Show. Yeah, well, that yeah, that. Although, that's like, amazing. you know, it's Akbar and Jeff's tofu hut, like, yeah. the the complexity and the humor in that was, I was, I I felt at home with that, even though yeah. I used to draw. I, I was apparently very good at copying comics. Yeah. But it stopped there. Like, I was a very good artist until I hit the level of a good artist at 16 and never got past it. Yeah. I also, for me, as an artist, I used to make puppets and shit. I, I because of my brain, I couldn't, it never makes, I still explain this to people. I'm like, I'm taking a 2D surface, I'm looking at something in 3D, and I'm trying to make it look 3D with a 2D. Yeah, I, my brain <laughs> but, but I used to do clay. You can't think about it too much. I I made I I smoked a ton of marijuana and stayed up on it and made a functional puppet with never having done, done it before. Wow! And I still have that puppet. I'll, I'll I'd like to see that. Puppet. Puppet. It's yeah. pretty good. Yeah, puppet used to perform. I performed puppets for a few years. I was still trying to. I've always tried to. Be, I've always tried to be Jim Henson. In fact, I dated yeah. somebody once who's a puppeteer. Just because I needed to feel like I needed to live in my Jim Henson <laughs> fantasy. Yeah. I'm still having my Jim Henson fantasy. Yeah, why not? It's a good fantasy. He, you know, he's my he's my Elvis. Although Arlene is my photography Elvis. Yeah. Who is, who are your Elvis? Give I, me give me your Elvises. five Elvises, and then we're and then I'm gonna kind of wrap this up. Oh my five Elvises. Who are the, you know again these are these are these are like these are con, these are constrictive conversations, but in your worlds, who are the five artists musicians? Friends who influenced your life, whether that's through art or music, who are yeah. the five? Yeah, that's a good. That's that's. And, and they, don't, they don't have to be. They can be the five now. They don't have to be like. The, I think the problem with yeah, Desert yeah. Island is it shifts all the time. That's so true. I want, I want to give you the room to let it. But shift. I think we. Yeah, but I think we tend to think. I mean, at least I always think of the those influences that that last. You know. I think I want. I want. I want to know even in your world today. You know, if you think about it, who who. What are the five things? I mean, you probably already told me them, but are they, they, maybe I don't know. But I mean, thinking like Robert Crumb is one of them, right? Robert Crumb stuff. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Ro- yeah, Robert. Okay, Crumb. so we got one. Uh, yeah, who else? This is right. I, I mean, think. the monster. You know, is there when you you made monsters? Were there was there a certain artist that was drawing monster shit like that? You they were like, oh holy shit! Like those yeah. like gremlin. Was there anything that you developed? You found that was in the monster world of cartoons that you like were like, holy shit. Uh, no, the only person I can think of was like Jim Henson because Jim, Jim Henson, Henson made amazing monsters. Basically, we're, we're gonna have a we're just we're just just, just call it Jim. Jim Henson is our Elvis. Jim Henson is all is all of our five Elvis. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but no, I did. I You know, getting back let's, to getting back to Paul Rubens, I'd say Pee Wee Herman is up there. Okay. So um, let's we get two more. Uh, we probably already talked about that. And yeah, Robert Robert Crumb. I'm sure there's a, oh, you know, I. I you talk about the Beatles. Was is one is one of these the, characters? The, Beatle, the Beatles were my Elvis. <laughs> the Beatles were my Elvis of music. See, I, I wish you said to me. I, I want you to say, you know, I realize my Elvis is my Elvis. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, um, Elvis is up there. I do like the, you know, yeah. There's a, Buddy, Buddy Holly is, a, is is a good Elvis too. Um, what what? Okay, let's 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 do one more. May, maybe Fe, Federico Fellini might be in there. Okay, tell I'd me more about Fellini. Like. Most of my top movies are Fellini movies, like Satyricon, Eight and a Half, The Dolce Vita. Gonna, before we're, I want to keep hearing, but I'm going to interject later and tell you the, my favorite Fellini movie that has nothing to do with Fellini. But keep going. Oh, I wonder that that's intriguing. Yes, it involves, he it involves Queen. <laughs> my is favorite it, Fellini is movie re, involves is it, Queen. Is it uh, Flash Gordon? It is Flash Gordon. Because <laughs> that, yeah, that is like a Fellini movie. Isn't well, it? there's more to it. Keep keep yeah. keep going. Uh, yeah, who else? We said Jim Henson already. He, he already pretty Fleet. much covers all five. What's your, what's your what? What is the, you know? What is? Uh, do you have a favorite Fellini movie that was or a scene? Yeah, well, probably Satyricon. Okay, I don't know that one as well, but tell me more. It's it's this movie about about Rome, um, and about two 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 boys that have a friendship. They're in love with the same boy slave. Okay, <laughs> that they fight over. 
but it, to me, to me, the way he, you know that you you see like kind of, it's not intended to be like a true historically accurate picture of Rome, but to me, ancient Rome, but to me, it is because he ca- he captured this idea that it is an alien world, so it's almost like science fiction in a way, but you feel that yeah he got he got something about that world that is authentic to me anyway. I don't know because it's uh, you know he's Italian, but um, <laughs> and he's he's living in Rome, but. I think he had a feel for that time that he that he really um, you know conveyed to the audience that this is what it really could have been like that people are alive you know that there's he he kind of like uh, injected it with this real like humanity of flesh and blood and just like an attitude that people had that he doesn't overly explain it it's just like this is that world and it, and like I said it is a lot like science fiction because you kind of he presents this world he doesn't explain it he's just like this these are the characters in this world the he sets out you know the rules obviously you know it's ancient rome but yeah i think he really captured something in that movie that has just always been fascinating to me mm-hmm. I, I really lo- i really love that movie and also eight and a half because i mean eight and a half i like because it's uh it's a movie about a director that you know he's he can he has an idea and he's continually being pushed by his you know his production team to fulfill this idea, but he has no idea what this you know right. what this movie is going to be, and that they're already building the set, and it's just this grand like again. I think it's supposed to be like science fiction. That movie. one I've seen. Yeah, and it, uh, that's all, all also good because it, it also encompasses not just drama, but there's comedy and there's like you know there's a kind of fantasy in it as well. You know, it goes back and forth in time. It shows him as a little boy. It shows him like you know dream sequences of him with his, his dead parents. Um. Yeah, it's just, it's really Have really you seen good. Roma? Yeah. yeah my favorite that. probably one of my all time favorite scenes in the movie is the the electric church where they're all lit up. Oh, right, that. the fashion show. That that is creepy. That is like one of the creepiest segments ever to me. The I don't know because I was I was raised Catholic. Okay. So I see that stuff and it just I don't know, for some reason it's so spooky the way they bring out these old dudes in this like elaborate but it's so amazing. garb. It's, it's, a, it's a, incredible. It's yeah. performance art. Yeah. Have you ever seen Holy Mountain? Uh, Holy Mountain? Yes, uh, Holy Mountain is also so another, yeah. the, amazing, I, I, amazing. The way you're movie. describing that scene, I described the scene. Remember the scene with the frogs and the toads? Yes. And also in that movie, they. I mean, Gardowarski is, is a big hero of mine, but he's yeah. he is so far, he's so out there in such a good way that I. I he, he almost feels like there's almost part of me that feels like he's got Zeus in him somewhere. Yeah, well, he's a, he's like a shaman, right? He's well. <laughs> there's a documentary about his the director. He was, he director was, he was shaman. Shema, he's a shamanic psychotherapist. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's a documentary that he made that is most that I feel like is is a hate crime. Yeah. He um, takes you through this process, but like it's very visceral and guttural. And yeah. there's one scene where there's this four year old guy trying to deal with some trauma and. He is being rebirthed through these two older people, like yeah. naked, yeah. with blood. You can watch it, but it, I, it feels like it should be illegal to watch. Yeah. Um, but he was he was a uh, French French director and just really good at physical comedy miming. He I think he kind of started as a mime, and so at least the, the movie Playtime is there's really not a lot of dialogue. It's his his character, Mister um, Monsieur Hulot. That you know, it's this kind of famous character they created with like a hat, a pipe, a trench coat, walks around with an umbrella, um, and he's just kind of like, uh, get, he gets lost in this in this um, kind of modern modern world, this modern setting. Playtime is basically about like um, the modern world taking over and like erasing any kind of um, history of, of uh, Paris, basically. Like, okay. You know, just giant. You know, skyscrapers going up and kind of like pushing, pushing the kind of uh, more uh, historical, but you know, the the flavor of, of Paris is kind of getting lost in this kind of global um, uprising. So we get kind of gets lost in a high rise where they're having like this um, trade show, and he's just trying to get a job, but he gets lost in this trade show. Anyway, it's it's. Good. Nice. I want to. I want to. Can I? Can I? Is it okay if I just uh, start to wrap it up with with my yes. favorite Fellini movie? Yeah. Oh yeah. Let's see. <laughs> favorite Fellini movie oh, yeah. is Flash Gordon. Yeah. Because Flash Gordon isn't it a D, Dino De Laurentiis? It is. Movie? Yeah. But it was. But it, and, and if we, it, it's funny is 
there's a documentary called Jarwarski's Dune. Yes. Which yeah. which points to this book that was made that highly influenced all the sci-fi of the eighties and nineties. But but a big there's a big case they made for that that Dune influenced Flash Gordon very heavily. Yeah. They made this like Well who was who was the the artist that influenced uh what was it? What's his name? It was a French artist that influenced all that stuff. Uh, oh, I don't you know. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I don't know. I know what you're talking about, but I don't know who it yeah. is. Um, yeah. Anyway, to, so the art director of all the Fleeing movies was the art director for Flash Gordon. Oh, okay. I did and not so know that. If you look at that movie, it's it's another piece of like performance art. Like, yeah. And again, you're talking about the 80s when everything was built. It wasn't just like they did CGI. Like right, the yeah. costumes in that movie are fucking stellar. Yeah. Like for for a, kind of a shitty B movie in some ways, it is one of my it is one of the most beautiful films. It, the, 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 you know the, the visuals are fucking amazing. And to get to get more into Fellini, there's a character named Fellini, which is a named after. Oh man, I didn't this, realize. There's, a, there's this uh, shorter actor who is kind of Indian who you would probably recognize who played the character Fellini. Yeah. That movie also is about essentially a big like BDSM movie. It's all this like weird. <laughs> you have, have you seen Flash I've, Gordon? I've seen it, but I haven't seen it for a, a long time. I've I, I I I think I remember seeing it when it first came out, and I was confused by it. I was like, "Is this sci-fi? Is this like a comedy?" It's you know, it's you know, they reference like the the art direction in that movie is so good. They reference like um, Russian propaganda. They reference German. Yeah. Like, I mean, there's this. Remember the scene with with Zan's heart. Hans Zarkov, where they're reversing his memory, <laughs> and there's a scene of Hitler. Uh, there's a scene of Hitler, and all of a sudden he says, "Oh, that man I like." Like it yeah. is, it's it's a brilliant movie. Yeah, um, I, I, remember, I, I remember like the Hawkman. The Hawkman. Um, <laughs> and I remember the guy that played Richard Flash Gordon. Prince. Richard, no, Richard O'Brien, the guy who he created the Rocky Horror, who yeah. was the weird with the hair with the. Uh, have you seen Rocky Horror? Yes. The creepy with the long hair. Oh he, yeah, yeah. He he's in that movie as well. Oh, okay. Timothy Dalton's in that movie. Uh, Picard's in that movie. Oh, wow. John, uh, what's yeah. his name? Uh, Patrick Stewart. Patrick Picard Stewart, yeah. And then I forget the guy, the guy with the beard. Very well-known British actor. I can't think of his name. He's, he's you know, he's he's also so important in that film. Yeah. I'll have to watch it again, because it it's, seems like there's I, a lot of stuff in there that I, I think definitely if you're missed open, I think I if you're open to now. it, I think I, what I'd like to do with you is get two or three people together watch it together and talk about it yeah, that's a good it's idea, fucking yeah. amazing yeah uh, all right we're gonna wrap it up uh this is amazing jim i gotta say like, yeah, and no great. commercial breaks which is pretty no good. commercial breaks and, and you know uninterrupted between between two the hours to the audience i was trying An to like uninterrupted I, babble i was trying to get jim and i to just play around and kind of make fun of this and through doing that we took it very seriously we did but we made everything up pretty much so. we made everything <laughs> up there is no etsy tv does not exist um, yes. All right. Don't don't try and find SCTV and no, you only be anyway. disappointed. All right, man, that was awesome. Yeah, now I want to watch SCTV because I, I just I loved. Uh, I loved. All right, thanks for uh, listening to that episode. It was a pleasure to talk with Jim, and I've gotten to know him pretty well over the over the last bunch of years. Um, yeah, please check out his work. I don't have much to say except for please check out our website, vintageanalysarchive.com. We have all these what are called deep dives where we pick certain topics and you could kind of dig through on your own and learn about those people um, and things we post about. I want to do a plug for one of our sponsors, Risk Podcast. And uh, Risk is amazing. Risk, Risk is a storytelling podcast of stories that most people wouldn't share, which, you know, is very connected to this episode of a conversation that, you know, uh, probably we just kind of had a free conversation and didn't worry so much, although there were a few things cut out um, for, so I didn't get sued. <laughs> and get in trouble um, but it's in the same spirit of, of risk and Kevin Allison has been our primary coach my primary coach for the podcast and um, if I, if you're doing any kind of storytelling if you're doing a podcast if you're needing any kind of life coach I c- cannot recommend Kevin Allison services there's a link in our on our um, and you can find him on uh, on the internet you can find his links on our Instagram. Um, please follow our Facebook page. Please follow our YouTube. And then, um, again, go through our website. We do have a page of videos. We have like a video archive. We have all these deep dives. We have a photo archive. Um, we're trying to really move away from Instagram and more 
into some other content and reaching out and kind of doing things like the podcast to get in the world. And very proud to have talked to Jim and many of our other guests. So please check it out and enjoy. Until next time, uh, this is Richie. See you later. We thought in different ways.